It is enough. Who's there? Just us. Who are you? I am who I have always been. Father, it is too late for me, Jika. It is not too late for you. No. We are a dying people, Jakar. So are the Centauri, obsessed with each other's death until death is all we can see and death is all we deserve. The Centauri started it. And will you continue until there are no more Nans and no more Centauri? If both sides are dead, no one will care which side deserves the blame. It no longer matters who started it, Jakar. It only matters who is suffering. No. No, I have an obligation to honor my father's name. And how have you chosen to honor that name? What is there left for Nan if all of creation falls around us? There is nothing. No hope, no dream, no future, no life. Unless we turn from the cycle of death towards something greater. If we are a dying people, then let us die with honor by helping the others as no one else can. I don't understand. Because you have let them distract you, blind you with hate. You cannot see the battle for what it is. We are fighting to save one another. We must realize we are not alone. We rise and fall together. And some of us must be sacrificed if all are to be saved. Because if we fail in this, then none of us will be saved. And the Nan will be only a memory. You have the opportunity here and now to choose to become something greater and nobler and more difficult than you have been before. The universe does not offer such chances often, Jakar. Why now? Why not earlier? All this time, where have you been? I have always been here. I'm sorry. Did I say something? That happens sometimes. When I feel strong emotion from two feet in front of me, it just jumps out of my mouth before I can stop it. I'm here to save your butts. Next time, show a little gratitude. On the other hand, maybe wounding him isn't such a bad idea after all. When a deadly drug is unleashed on the station, a kind of telepathic weapon, Sheridan must take on an old enemy. You won't do that. Are you sure of that, Mr. Bester? On an all-new Babylon 5. You have transmissions holding. Patch incoming signal. Full audio and video decode. Purple files accessed. What you are about to see has never been shown to anyone outside the break house.
begins. Hello, everyone out there in podcast land. Welcome to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast, a part of the Front Row Network and NPR Illinois Community Voices. We are a group of Babylons, first ones, and newbies, whatever you want to call us, uh, that are either watching for the first time every episode of Babylon 5 or watching for far too many times. And we are to a pretty decent episode of season three, which is Dust to Dust, or as I like to call it, Bester and Drugs. So I'm Scott, and with me is Blake, Emily, Andrew, Kevin, Jesse, Nicole, Mike, and Justin. So before we begin talking about Dust to Dust, a reminder to please check out all our social medias. We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Links are down below. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure to check out our audio podcast. Again, link below. Or if you're listening to the audio podcast, we do have a YouTube channel. Link is below as well. We would really also appreciate if you could please leave us a review especially on apple it helps out a lot we actually don't have a new review this week so if you want to make it to where i can have one next week you could really help me out and leave a review along with that make sure you click the like subscribe follow whatever button you have we are continuing to see a lot of growth on the show thank you so much for that we actually last month were number 17 for tv review podcasts in the united kingdom so we actually probably have more listeners to the podcast than Boris Johnson has friends. So that's awesome. It's great. Uh, and also along with that, if you can support us with the Patreon, we have that link down below. Our Patreon has a Discord server where any level you join on the Patreon, you'll have access to our Discord server. And you can also get a lot of other additional benefits through that as well. And a special thank you to our producers who are members of the Greg Council, who are listed down below, who are our highest supporters on the Patreon. So guys, let's get into a discussion on Dust to Dust. And I believe Andrew has a synopsis for us. Indeed, I do. So once again, Bester returns to Babylon 5, but this time to offer his assistance with busting a drug ring. Meanwhile, Jakar tries this drug, which enhances telepathic abilities and uses it to scan Londo's mind. Let's go into first impressions from our newbies, and we'll go to Jesse first. First impressions on Dust to Dust. Remember when I asked you when I was going to get to see Jakar beat the shit out of Londo? And you know what? In our Beyond the Rim section, we said Jesse's going to be able to see Jakar beat the shit out of Londo, so... I enjoyed this episode. We got to see a little bit of of what I've been asking for for a really long time. And then some more Bester, because everybody loves that. He's a sneaky fuck still, by the way. Other than that, loved it, didn't hate it, and I would watch it again. Andrew, first impressions. Yeah, so uh, another pretty solid episode. Justin, first impressions. Well, I mean, first off, yeah, just to piggyback, Walter Katie did a fantastic job in this episode. When I saw Bester, you know, face show up on the monitor, I was like, oh boy, here we go. But honestly, it was, you love to hate him. He was still enjoyable to watch regardless. So very much enjoyed that part of it. I thought it was actually also a great episode for Jakar and Lando. I was sitting there rooting when I was sitting there watching it going, oh my God, Jakar's beating Lando's ass. Like... I Lando. was, I said Lando. No, you said Lando twice. No, and I, no, you didn't. Okay. <laughs> I was going to let it go, but Jesse's going to be an asshole. I'm not, I'm not you guys. I will help him. Stop it. I know. Uh, well, I don't need help. I just, I don't honestly, need help. my brain lost track is what I was trying to say. 
I like it. But thank you for your help, Jesse. I, I yeah. always appreciate you. Just my favorite part is so many one-liners and clips or quips in this damn episode. See, I still can't say words right regardless. But all the one-liners and quips throughout this whole thing, everybody has at least one or two good one-liners in this episode. So that was one thing that I enjoyed immensely. And then who would have thought or is super shocked that we have our own Babylon version of MK Ultra going on here on on there because that's what like I was like completely shocked and then you know at the end when it's like oh well we did this you know in order just to try and make more telepaths and I was like okay great here we go it's a CIA all over again thanks one episode can I not have to wear my tinfoil hat please probably not on this show just saying <laughs> Probably especially, not yeah. Especially in season three. Not from here on in, yeah. buddy. Yeah, no. <laughs> season three, you ain't seen nothing yet, boss. <laughs> stock tip advice. If you want to stock up on uh, shares of the company that makes Reynolds tinfoil, mm-hmm. this podcast may help you out. Mm-hmm. I actually did buy some at the store the other day, so I'm good to go. <laughs> Excellent. Nicole, first impressions. This was a good episode. There was a lot going on. Um, a lot of plots, a lot of things to keep track of. We all know I hate Bester, but I got to say he had some damn good one-liners in this episode. There was a couple that I wrote down and I just, I couldn't help but laugh. I was like, like the pinata line that killed me. I, I was just cracking up. A pinata, huh? So you think of me as something bright and cheerful, full of toys and candy for young children. Thank you. That makes me feel much better about our relationship. So, uh, and when he told Garibaldi he enjoyed working with him and just him and Garibaldi, like that dynamic was really funny. And then just uh, the whole thing, I thought it was just overall a solid episode. Emily, first impressions. Um, I didn't hate it. Like, I don't know. I just, I think I expected more with how much you, some of you said you loved it and it's a good episode. It is. But I guess I was just expecting something a little bit more. Um, and as I continue, as I felt since we were introduced to them, fuck Psychor. Um, yeah. And it was actually nice to see Mondo kind of get what's coming to him, but I felt bad that beer was caught in the middle of it. And then we'll go over to our first ones who have watched the whole show. And Mike, first impressions. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good episode. It's a good character piece. Bester coming back is awesome. Koenig is such a good actor. And, and uh, you know, the character of Bester is just so good. Like, this is an episode where, like, you hate him. And at some point, like, his his charm almost won me over. You know, when he was debating with Garibaldi about how they're both just trying to protect Earth, I was like, yeah, man, Bester's actually a good guy. And then he said at the end that they made drugs and gave the people on purpose. So, you know, it brought me back. But, uh, you know, a very, very good episode overall with, with some good guest actors as well. Um, Jim Norton was back playing the role of Jaquan, and that was awesome. Um, you know, I've mentioned before I'm a big fan of him in this in this series. So yeah, that's a, that's a good one. I think we may be talking about Jaquan a little bit in both sides of this episode. Just 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 a guess. Kevin, first impressions. Yeah, in, in addition to that, Kim Strauss is in this uh, again as the uh, the Drazi. So uh, sorry, I don't know who the other Drazi was, but Koenig is just he's he's really never been better than in this episode. You know, he's fairly subtle, he's sinister, enigmatic. 
he's playfully clever but he's never over the top and he's he's just a true pleasure to watch in a completely different role than you know anyone's ever really seen him otherwise um it was it was interesting seeing ivanova go to a very dark place um but I mean, this this episode is one of those where if you're going to watch season three, you're not going to want to skip. And there's other reasons to watch it other than Walter Koenig, but you're going to watch it just because Walter Koenig's in it doing Bester. Now, if you want to skip an episode of season three next week, maybe. That is definitely the one to skip. Maybe. Newbies, you can't. Blake, first impressions. So I, I really like this episode. I know it's one of the... Looks more like a bottle episode for season three, but to me, this is the one where you start to see Jakar really turn the corner. And so for me, this is a favorite episode in the overall Jakar arc, because I mean, this is where you really see him. He hits rock bottom here. So really kind of gets interesting for me from here on out with that. And, you know, don't want to get into spoilers, but even these bottle episodes have these little pieces that maybe aren't heavy arc episodes, but they start laying groundwork and do advance the story even within these standalone episodes. Yeah, and as usual, you guys have said most everything I wanted to say. Uh, Walter Koenig is a treat to watch as Bester. And as I've said from the beginning, because of this show, when I think of Walter Koenig, I think Bester first. And that's because he gets so much more to do with this character than he ever got to do with Chekhov. And so I, I, it's always a joy when he comes on. And this one with, with the buddy cop with Garibaldi is just fun as hell. And yeah, Blake, I'm with you on this. This is a very much a heavy Jakar episode. Unfortunately, we can't say too much about it on the front end, but those who are not worried about spoilers or have watched the whole show, stick around after the credits when we kick our newbies out, because we will definitely be talking a little bit more Jakar than we will on the front end, is my guess. So let's go ahead and start talking about this episode in full. And where do we want to begin, folks? Do we want to talk Bester or Jakar? Anybody? Anybody? Let's Bester. talk about Bester. Let's talk yes. about Bester, Kevin. I say we should go start with it. Bester. So he does Bester. start the episode. So Bester, you know, comes back in this episode and he hadn't really gotten uh, the best of them uh, before he'd always been, you know, it was kind of a stalemate or he hadn't really won. And then, you know, in this one, you're like, well, you know, every, everyone kind of wins. And then when you when you see the end, like Mike was talking about and you realize that, you know, he was he was in the thick of it and knew about dust uh, being created by the Psycor. It really takes this particular storyline forward um, and it. It, it, there's there's definitely something to dig in there too with his comments about talia winters yeah about that anyone want to discuss what bester said about talia real quick justin i'm not a hundred percent and that's where i i went back and forth i ended up watching the episode twice and both times i was thinking back and forth was he telling the truth about them dissecting Talia, which honestly would not surprise me in the least. Or did he just say it like Ivanova was saying, he's just trying to get a rise out of you. He's just trying to fuck with Garibaldi. I honestly don't know. Um, I want to think that if if I had to flip a coin and pick, I'd probably pick that he was telling the truth. But that's just my opinion. Nicole. When also he was saying that it was his predecessor that set that up or whatever, not him. So don't blame him, but you're fucking full of shit. He totally had part of that. Like, 
there's no way that it was his predecessor. He was the one who did it and he knew exactly what was going to happen. Andrew? Yeah, I think uh, Bester was definitely telling the truth about them pretty much killing Talia because, yeah, Psychor just kind of at this point sounds like the kind of group that would like kill their own people like once they were like they didn't have a use for them anymore. Emily? I thought he might be telling the truth, but a different understanding of dissection where it's not like what we would have done in a science class, but more of a mental dissection of doing an invasive scan and going through um, her brain like piece by piece, essentially, but not actually physically killing and cutting her apart. But using that term would get a strong reaction from other people in the room. So it could have worked to his advantage. Nicole? Either way, if they did it mentally or physically, she's still dead because, you know, she she was borked after that if they had dissected her mind. So she was, did you say she was borked? Yeah, like she was going to be gone regardless dead <laughs> i'm just thinking back to supreme court and <laughs> judge bork I'm just he got borked okay Sorry. <laughs> yeah uh, i'm not gonna spoil anything or do anything like that but it's definitely along bester's line to justin's point and to be trying to do both i mean we know bester's a piece of shit and we know that if he needs to do something, he'll do it. And also, he likes to piss people off and just poke at them. So, yeah. Yeah. Justin? Um, I think probably the one of the first parts of the episode that kind of related to Bester that kind of got my oh shit motor running was when they're sitting there, they know Bester's coming, and they're talking about kind of how to handle the situation. And... Garibaldi legitimately suggests just killing the motherfucker straight up. You know, we know he's going to come on board. He's going to find out everything we're up to. Either we face it and do the court martial and get shot or we just straight up kill him. And you can tell he's not the only one that has those thoughts, except I think Franklin was the only one who was like actively against it. But then even when Sheridan said no, my first favorite one-liner of the day was Ivanova going, well, can we just like wound him a little? <laughs> and I just honestly yeah. just audibly busted out laughing with that one. Can we wound him? Just a little? Ivanova. It was, um, and then that leads up to the scene with Ivanova alone when she kicks everybody mm -hmm. out of CIC. And that scene, I had like goosebumps like leading up to up to that, like, she's going to pull the trigger. Oh, my God. She's going to pull the goddamn trigger. And Sheridan had to step in and stop her because she she legit was going to fucking do it. It's crazy. That's it's crazy. Those, that's another one of those. And again, I, I love Star Trek. Don't get me wrong. But this is another one where B5 is just saying we ain't Star Trek again. Because in that one, if it was a Star Trek thing, for one, they would never have that scene. But if they had that scene, Sheridan would have showed up before she said fire. She actually said fire. That she is such a B5 thing. Yeah. Ivanova did it. It wasn't, would she have if Sheridan was? No, she did it. <laughs> she said and fire. Then when Sher and then when Sheridan dressed her down afterwards, her arguments made sense. Like, And we'll have to see if Ivanova was right or not. Yeah. We still have three seasons to watch. What, should Ivanova been able to kill the motherfucker? We'll find out. So I mean, we have a lot of what ifs. Yeah, we have a lot of what ifs so far in season three, and this add this to the list. So sometimes mm -hmm. the bad guys make a good argument to Justin. That's what we're saying. 
I, you know what? I'm always in line for a sympathetic villain. That's why Magneto's my favorite mutant. There was uh, JMS has said a couple times when it comes to characters like this that, uh, and this is not just him. It's a tr- it's something that's said by good writers all the time. Is the really good villains are those who aren't villains of their own story. So if you watch Bester throughout what we've seen so far, he does not see himself as a villain. He is the hero of the telepaths. He is the hero of Psychor. He is the hero this episode of earth he is trying to protect earth he's just doing it in a different way and that is why he's such a freaking wonderful character because he's not a villain of the story for him it's great and at the end of the day he sleeps the sleep of the just yes and yes, he's but i think the got just plenty of candy for kids to say about that wouldn't they i like <laughs> garibaldi line because you know it, it really sums up you know the opposing sides of of bester he thinks he's doing the right thing and a lot of other people on the other side are going yeah no not so much you're a real douchebag on how many people that have done things throughout history have had that conviction of they're doing it for the right reason right i mean i'm sure if you asked some of the individuals in some infamous foreign policy blunders in this country if they thought they were doing the right thing they were doing it for the country one of them just turned 100 years old. Sorry. And we just lost Ted Kaczynski this week, so. Oh, what a shame. Damn. <laughs> Good riddance. We record these boom. episodes a few weeks in advance. Boom today. <laughs> okay. Boom Boom today. <laughs> <laughs> no, it would be no more, no more boom today. Well, it's, today, it's not the same subject, but I, I really enjoyed that very first scene of the episode where uh, Sheridan is talking about there's a difference between you know, someone who holds the office and someone who is currently occupying it. And I thought I thought that that scene was really good, not only because it had a good line and because it showed you who Sheridan was and what he was dealing with on the station, but because it really tied in well to the Bester storyline. Mm-hmm. Nicole. I was really surprised that Bester agreed to take that medicine or drug or whatever that Franklin gave. Um is it just, I mean, because I guess he didn't want the other telepaths like poking around in his brain. So I was really shocked that he took it. And did he actually take it? Like, did it work? We don't know. Or was he pretending, you know? The the crew was pretty trusting because as soon as he took the sleepers, the Mimbari left. So yeah. he even said it knows? took three hours to work. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, don't trust, I don't trust it. Like, I don't know. Something didn't sit right about that for me. How he, he, how quick he was to agree to do it. Um, the one thing, the one thing I will say though, at the end when the other psychop shows up, I think that and you, I'm sure you can interpret it either way. And Nicole, the way you're interpreting it makes sense. But I think when the psychop says, "I tried to message you and I couldn't," I think that was potentially them saying, "Yeah, he was lacking the ability at that time." Because he even said wait, wait. you could have shown up two minutes ago. I've got a question. I have an answer. Um, it's forty-two. Okay, thank you. Okay. Um, anyway, so when he took, I just thought of this just now. When he took the uh, the injection, mm-hmm. and he said it takes three hours to kick in. How the fuck did he know that? Because he's a psychop, so he does it a lot. Oh, so like this is it? Well, Franklin said he developed something, so I thought it was like a new. No, I think like what Franklin did was he copied. He yeah. went in and he went to the database and found what oh, okay. latent telepaths That's... are given. It's the same. It's this is the same drug that Ivanova's mom got for years. Oh, it's settled okay. Science. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I okay. I was confused by that. So 
Never mind. So one of one of the jobs of a psychop is to go and give this drug to those who refuse to yeah. uh, be a psycho a member so of psycho. Same kind so, of, yeah, same kind of chemical castration that they gave to Ivanova's mother. Yeah. So Besser knows very well how this drug works because he's probably been using the drug on other people for a very long time. Gotcha. I thought it was something new. And then all of a sudden you guys were talking about it takes three hours. And I'm like, well, nobody told him that. How the fuck did he know? So never mind. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's, it's the sleeper drugs. It's the same ones we've heard of before. Okay. Jesse. So going back to the Vanova scene where she um, basically was going to kill Besser, I, I feel like everybody should get one for the good of mankind sacrifice because kosh has already had his so or maybe more i don't know from what i know one that we've seen and then when she did it i was surprised like i was i was actually very surprised that she was like fire i'm like what is happening right now so it was good to see that um she was ready to kill somebody over her job well i know we'll talk jacar and jaquan a little bit later but as jaquan slash Kosh said, some of us have to sacrifice for everyone to survive or to serve, for everyone to make it out or however you put it. Some of Wait, us are going to have to sacrifice. I have a question. Will, some of us will be sacrificed. That's it. Thank you. Some of us will be sacrificed. Mm-hmm. Jaquan and Kosh are the same person? Well, let, let's finish the Bester talk and then we'll okay. get to the Jaqu- Jaquan yeah. talk. Because I you have some questions about that. that. Yeah. Okay. Hold on. Sorry. I shouldn't have done that, but Let's let's finish the Bester talk and the Garibaldi talk and all that talk, and then we'll talk Jakar and his uh, his fever dreams. Andrew, what do you got? So, uh, how did Bester like like because like just the way he uh, addressed Garibaldi about like when he's talking about how how the drug got on and like it must have been smuggled and he like directly addresses Garibaldi and like says like hey do do you know anything about uh, any like smuggling that's going on and to me it kind of sounded like Bester kind of somehow figured out that uh jakar was uh smuggling the weapons so like was like like how did how did he figure that out anybody or is that beyond the or is that beyond the rim bueller anybody didn't i mean uh, i just go ahead nicole no didn't um when that uh guy that told him about the drug shipment or whatever coming in didn't he say that maybe jakar bought or didn't he because yeah like it went from them interviewing him to then they knew it was jakar and yep. then they were trying to catch the buy. So yeah. he's the one that kind of ratted him out, right? Yeah, they interrogated the guy who isn't the dealer, but knew that there was a shipment coming in. And yeah. this would have been like before the, this would have been like like their first meeting, like with. He doesn't mention Jakar like in the first meeting, right? I thought they well, figured well, no, out like, Jakar because Jakar beat the shit out of Londo. That's later it, on too. The first meeting in Sheridan's office, Bester made a comment about, they're selling it to be used as a weapon. And do you know anybody that would want to buy untraceable weapons? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he directly addre- addresses Garibaldi. Yeah. yeah. Didn't so mention Jakar think- by name, but said, would you know anybody who would yeah. want to buy this type of a weapon? And then, yeah. and then you can tell by the look on Garibaldi's face that he knew exactly somebody who would be willing to buy it. And then that's when mm-hmm. I kind of, even before it switched to Jakar, I kind of had a feeling that they were talking about Jakar. But is, because Jakar's all about buying weapons. You're right, but are are they or is Garibaldi making that assumption? Because Bester could be like, "Hey, dude, this is a a station with two hundred fifty thousand people. Do you know anybody?" Whereas in Garibaldi probably does know that Jakar is the one been kind of pushing this stuff. I don't know. I think it was. I think Garibaldi was the one who kind of put that's the what, Jakar yeah. link together. That's yeah, what so I would that, assume because mm-hmm. because Garibaldi's the one that's been helping him do it. So. <laughs> Which is one of the reasons why they didn't want Bester scanning because exactly 
And by the way, again, I, I know I'm beating the serialized dead horse here, but we are definitely in serialized territory as one of the reasons why they didn't want anyone be scanned is because Ivanova flat out says what happened in the last episode. And there isn't a yeah. previously on B5. You just need to know that voices of authority just happened. And here we are. So enjoy. Yeah. That Bester will know everything that they've been up to. So mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. that. That's why, that's why Garibaldi just wanted to take his ass out and Ivanova tried to do it. Nicole. Wasn't Jakar actually getting weapon weapons though like and garibaldi was helping him funnel them because he didn't want them to come to b5 yeah so he was helping them funnel them out so i think this was something that wasn't being helped by garib like this is something new that maybe garibaldi didn't know about um because garibaldi didn't want him bringing weapons on the 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 station so he was helping him funnel the weapons out but he was talking about weapon weapons not like drug weapons so i'm almost oh go ahead but that means Garibaldi knows Jakar is dealing in weapons that are untraceable. So True. even if he doesn't realize drugs, it's he's going to be a prime suspect for uh, smuggling certain types of things that can be used as weapons, even yeah. if they're not traditional. I was more cool. so saying that Garibaldi couldn't be traced back to that specific one because he wasn't helping with that one, the yeah. drug one. But that's more so what I was kind of getting at. Like, even if, you know, Bester found out Garibaldi wasn't involved in that one. So I don't think that it would have been a problem for him. But yeah, I, I see what you're saying, Emily. Like, he knew he was doing other weapons. So that makes sense that it would be him. Blake? So I still think it, you kind of mentioned some of the comparisons with what is a Star Trek episode or was it, what isn't. And, you know, this is one of the storylines that gets into drugs and addiction within the B5 universe. And it's not the only one. And it it tends to do a little bit better handling, I think, in the B5 universe when they get into addiction issues and issues of drugs and substances. And again, it's that this is a different type of story. It's not afraid to dive into these issues or do them in a way that honestly is a bit more realistic of humanity versus a, you know, idealized view or a, it must be an alien plot type thing. Yeah. Especially because, you know, when you're, when you're in the Star Trek universe, you you know, that your, your most, um, um, you know, virtuous characters are not going to typically do that kind of stuff unless they're under some sort of severe duress. And that's just not always reasonable, you know, with the human condition. You're going to have hatred and animosity, and you're going to have somebody, you know, lash out at times, and it's just not reasonable always the other way. It's, you know, Star Trek is 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 wonderful. It's a it's a robust universe, of course. Um probably in some ways more robust than than this one because it's more fleshed out and there's more material. But when you're talking about Babylon 5, you know, there's such a difference in the way it's written. And this, among many other episodes, is why people will flock to Babylon 5 after they watch, you know, several episodes, uh, especially if you get to, you know, um, what's the name of the episode with um, uh, where where she gets coshed in the first ep- the first season? Death Walker. Death Walker. Thank you. Especially after you see Death Walker, um, and it, and it continues throughout the the series um, where where you see this 
that B5 is just willing to go a little bit further. And, you know, how many times have you been watching a show and you've got a virtuous character and they can end the whole problem and they don't. And it's like, you know, sometimes I just want to see somebody end the problem. And Star Trek usually doesn't do that, at least not with the 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 darker solution. And that's just not always realistic. Hell, even at the end, Franklin's like, ah, maybe we could just wound him a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Even Franklin comes around to it. Justin. Um, I don't have anything to say about Star Trek other than I just hope both teams have fun. Um, <laughs> but you went last time with the Facebook fandom, sir. No, and I don't. That's why I stay off that shit. Because honestly, I like, there's many things that I like about both franchises that I can understand both arguments. And I just go in there and I just enjoy both of them. And none of them are perfect. And but I enjoy them both for what they are and they entertain me. So at the day, at the end of the day, I'm happy. Um, I just actually wanted to point out one thing about Bester that I thought was really telling when they were questioning, I believe his name was Ashi, that drug dealer during that whole interrogation scene where, you know, they're asking him questions and then Bester just sits there. Yeah. He's lying. Oh, I have rights. And then, so they go through that whole thing. And then finally they let Ashi go after they, after Bester kind of talks him into, telling what he knows, which really honestly wasn't a whole lot except a name. But then Garibaldi goes, dude, you're not supposed to be, are these drugs not working? You're not supposed to be scanning. And he's like, I didn't have to. I just assumed he was lying because those guys lie. And if you let them know that you know that, that, that they're lying, then it creates a paranoia and you just feed that paranoia. Your thoughts are leaking all over the place. So there's still a cop in there, even though he's, it's not a psychic. You can tell he's still at heart a cop just like Garibaldi. And I think that was a scene that kind of you saw, you know, a similarity between both of those characters that I thought was very interesting that even if Garibaldi doesn't like or respect Bester all that much, Garibaldi understands him a little bit better, I think, after that scene. Not only understands him better, but I bet you that little comment by Bester that we have a badge and uh, mm-hmm. authority probably got under Garibaldi's skin more even than the Talia dissection comment because oh probably because that's, Garibaldi's like mm, yeah. how many times did the villain say to the good guy I'm just like you we're the same oh, and it's straight up said it with the whole uniform yeah. thing like that's, hey I'm, you're wearing a uniform too yeah and isn't this great we're the same thing and then Garibaldi like the hero has to say no I'm better than you. So it's, it's, it's a, it was a really interesting dichotomy within that scene. Yeah. And he says it in such a slimy way, but without being at all over the top. I mean, if you're looking at that just as a, you know, uh, a fun scene, it's really good. Speaking of uniforms, just because we haven't talked about it yet. We also got another Nazi reference, Justin, with Nightwatch again. Oh yeah. But the, right at the beginning Mm -hmm. when, uh, and that's honestly, that's another chuckle out loud moment when um, Sheridan chases off the Night Watch guy and the shop owner looks at him and goes, don't you have a boon meeting to go to? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, straight up called him a fucking fascist. Love it. Yep. Anything else on Bester Garibaldi before we move into Jakar and his love fest with Londo? Okay, let's talk drugs. Jesse. Drugs? Oh. Uh, <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? Uh, God, my brain just stopped working. So going back to this whole Jaquan is Jakar thing. Yes, ma'am. In the dream, Jaquan, who was Jakar, it's just the dream, right? Who was Kosh? Kosh, what I say, Jakar? Jakar, Jaquan is Jakar. Now you're confusing everybody. Okay, now everybody doesn't have any idea what I'm talking about per usual. 
Um, okay, Kosh and Jaquan, right? Yeah. In the dream, Jaquan is, Kosh is Jaquan, but that's not like all the time. But okay, so uh, somebody taser me if I say too much here. I think I'll be okay. So I don't think it's Jaquan is Kosh and Kosh is Jaquan. 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 The whole point is that Kosh was meddling with Jakar's head mm. while he's on the drugs. Which he does. So, yeah. He's done yeah. multiple times in multiple different people's dreams. Yeah. So so and, and I think that scene is it makes it very obvious to you because you can assume the angel wings pop out, Justin. So you can assume it's Kosh, but then they actually show like Kosh is in the room. So I don't think right. it's Jaquan is Kosh. It's Kosh is using the vision of Jaquan mm -hmm. to get what he wants. Right. And that's how I took it. But when you, when you said that they were one and the same, I, maybe that's just how Sorry, I, I, I meant that the vision was one and the same. Okay. The vision so, of Jaquan was being perpetrated by Kosh. Got it. Okay. Go ahead. Talk about drugs. <laughs> Andrew, drugs. Yeah. So uh, to kind of uh, go off of that, um, I know a lot of people's biggest issues with uh, like the Varlon and, uh, and like their like appear like what appears to be this all powerful nature, but like they don't really do anything about it. Like with it, they don't like interfere at all. Like they only interfere when they want to. Uh, to me, uh, it kind of clicked with me. It kind of reminds me of. Uh, the line from Avengers Endgame when Doctor Strange tells Tony, like, if I tell you what's going to happen, then it won't happen. So to me, that like that kind of like kind of pushes that whole idea that the, the Vorlons are basically gods and they have this whole like ba basically this whole story uh, plot line all laid out. So they're just doing whatever they need to do uh, in order for it to go how how it should. Because after that vision, then that's when Jakar decides to basically turn himself in and take full responsibility uh, for his actions. Nicole? So I kind of interpreted that a little differently. Um, so at the end, when you saw Kosh walk away and Jakar was crying in his hands, um, my thought was, is that Jakar, or I meant not Jakar, um, Kosh stepped in and implanted kind of like that vision of Jaquan into Jakar's mind and kind of like, that was his way of talking sense into him and like trying to bring him back down to earth and kind of straighten him out a little bit and put him back on the, a, a different path of not being on a path of destruction essentially. So I thought it was kind of like helpful that he did that. Um, and he knew that that was probably the only way that Jakar would be receptive is if he saw Jaquan, not, he's not going to listen to, you know, a Vorlani. He's not going to listen to anybody else. So I think that, yes, it's just another, Vorlon's meddling when they feel like it kind of thing but also I feel like that was kind of the way for for um Kosh to kind of help Jakar find his way back because he was so consumed with anger and hatred rightfully so that he was going down a path of destruction and and it just was going to get worse so I looked at it as kind of a helpful thing and almost like a way for him to kind of like help him kind of come back down and and move forward in a different way. Justin? I agree with Nicole that um, I think Kosh was stepping in definitely to try and help calm Jakar down and kind of bring him out of this spiral that he was in. But I want to step back a little bit further before Jaquan showed up. And when, you know, because this was another big oh shit moment for me when Jakar started peering in Alondo's mind and started finding out the truth about everything. And then 
starts screaming, I want to know all your secrets. I want to know everything. And you start kind of seeing that flash sequence. And it started to drive Jakar mad. He can't keep up with it. And it's actually driving him crazy. And he's begging it to stop. And then all of a sudden it stops. And it's not Jaquan, I think, that finally starts to turn Jakar around. It's the image of his own father. When he sees his father bound there on the tree and he's talking to him about, and his father's talking to him about honor, about trying to stop the cycle. I'm not getting the exact quotes right. So, you know, forgive me, internet. But um, when he's talking, when his father's talking to him about, if you spend all of your time trying to kill each other and there's nobody left, what good does that do? And I think that is honestly more than even Jaquan showing up. I think that is actually what starts to kind of talk Jakar off the ledge and start to think about the bigger picture. And then kind of the the another moment that kind of gave me goosebumps is when he's, you know, when his, you know, he, you know, he asks his father, you know, where have you been or something like that? And says, I've always been here. And that's when you hear the flapping of wings and the flashing of light. And when Jaquan appears before him to kind of, I think, guide him towards a different, you know, path. But I think it all started with, and I I even think with the image of Jakar's father, I think was still Kosh kind of starting to plant those early seeds in there. But um, definitely, um, you know, Kosh has a purpose for Jakar. I think going forward and I'll save some of my other comments for questions and predictions, but this was a very, very powerful scene. Well, and just remember that when uh, they were describing what dust does is you live the person's entire life when you go into their head. So that's a lot <laughs> of what Jakar has dealt with uh, Londo in there. And uh, JMS was very, uh, he, he pointed out in the Usenet said there are some uh, frames in that flashback sequence and flash forward sequence if you watch it to where there's only they're only up for about three or four frames so you literally have to watch it in slow-mo or pause it over and over again to get everything that is in that little flash montage uh, so there's a lot in there Kevin yeah I agree with Justin that was largely how I interpreted it as well I thought that the image of his father that was invoked there was almost uh more important or as important and because it it really came first in in the sequence um the way that um the David Eagle filmed that he was heavily influenced by uh, a 60s show called The Prisoner where um and i i won't go into a long diatribe about it but it's a it's a quite a, an influential 60s uh science fiction television show but the way that they did the the dark you know and it was really just londo and jakar in the in the shots that was very reminiscent of some of the scenes from the prisoner and he he definitely did that very purposefully to um to capture that moment. Uh, so I was also looking at it through that lens when I was watching it. Um, Cause I, I, I thought that that was a, a nice, a nice choice. Um, but yeah, that, that whole sequence is probably from start to finish my favorite in the episode, because it is a very powerful one. Nicole. Oh, once again, I got something a little different from that. <laughs> so one thing I noticed was when Jakar was talking to Jaquan, 
aka Kosh, he was saying, now is the time for you to choose a different path. Do you want to be greater and go forward? And or do you want to destroy everyone until there's no one left kind of thing? But Jakar was protesting like, but I have to honor my father's name, but I have to honor my father's name. And my thought was like, Jakar kind of, the I think the message that he had gotten, like, you know, live with honor or whatever. In my mind, I'm thinking he's he's doing all of this to honor his father's name, like the killing and the fighting and the, you know what I mean? So that's why when he said, you know, now's the time and he's and he was protesting saying, but I have to honor my father's name. I got a different vibe from that scene with his father that maybe he was under the impression or thought that he had to do the different path, like the the fighting and the killing and all that to honor his father's name. And Jaquan was kind of talking him off the ledge. That's the vibe that I got and I picked up. I could be totally wrong, but that's how I interpreted that with his father. Justin? I mean, honestly, Kags, I could be completely wrong too. But the way that I just kind of read it was that, you know, it was it was when he was still talking to the personage of his father and his father was the one saying, like even Jakar was saying, I need to honor you. And he thought, I think honestly, at one point, Jakar thought he was honoring his father by being highly militant, by wanting to destroy the Centauri. And it was his father's personage that actually was telling him, you need to break the cycle. And then it was, you know, and then eventually after that is when Jaquan came in and basically gave him a choice. Like reinforced between, it kind of. Between, yeah. between one or the other. So that's the kind of way that I, the way I read it too. Um, the one thing I love about this show is... You can talk to uh, nine different people and sometimes get nine different interpretations on the same scene. So, you know, it doesn't mean, you know, sometimes I've been right. Sometimes I've been very wrong. But honestly, sometimes there are things that we talk about where there's not a single right or wrong answer either. There's not always going to be an answer from JMS. No, no, it's, it's, it's up to you to interpret as you will. One thing to remember, because we've, we have heard about Jakar's father before. So if, if you don't remember the reason why he's hanging in that tree is he was a servant of Centauri when they were on Narn last and he broke a pitcher. And so the woman of the house had him hung in a tree until he died. And he hung there for, I believe, three days before he died. So not only is Jakar one way or the other interpreting this, you're also dealing with a lot of childhood trauma of watching your father hang from a tree until he died for three days. So regardless of what his dad's telling him, Jakar has some issues with Centauri. Kevin? Justifiably so. Um, But I think... I think that is almost so well represented in that that scene with the Drazi and Londo and Veer and Lanier and um, Delenn because the the that that diplomatic episode just went south so quickly and it all had to do with Londo. You know, he was very overt in his. You know, I I, I don't care. I want I want what I want. And you guys are going to go down if you don't give me what you want. And that's clearly what the Centauri, you know, is the direction they're going down. And it's it's a really dark, dark path that everyone hopes, you know, is going to turn around at some point. But, um, you know, and that's that's why Lanier's quote was probably my favorite of uh, of the episode with so many good quotes. A darkness carried in the heart cannot be cured by moving the body from one place to another and then he he 
he laments that I don't think there's anything that can be done for Londo now. And that's, that's sad, but it is definitely true that you can't, you, you can't cure Londo by just changing his perspective for two seconds. Kevin, I'm glad you brought the linear um, the Lynn scene. I just wanted to point out one thing on that. This is the second time in probably what three episodes that we've seen Lanier actually speak on behalf of Dylan, but also speak his own mind. So I'm loving that in this season two, we're seeing Lanier kind of step out and be more of somebody, not just an assistant. Because when Veer is trying to prove to Dylan that, hey, Londo's not as bad as you think he is, Dylan's looking to Lanier. Like, what the hell do we do here? And Lanier just answers the question and says, no. So I'm, I'm loving that Lanier's getting more agency in this season, too. When you saw some some of the flashbacks, you know, in what Jakar saw, you're remembering that, that Londo was not always super out for blood through the whole thing. He was complicit, most certainly, but he wasn't always the most enthusiastically uh, bloodthirsty guy throughout the whole thing. But... You know, he's he's further gone from that now. You know, he is way down the rabbit hole from where he was in season one and in season two, even because you mentioned the Londo wasn't always so complicit. I do love again that this the the scene with the Drazi ambassador hits home again. Well, do you want us to do to you what we did to the Narn? So warm and fuzzy Londo is talking about freaking dropping gone. asteroids on the Drazi homeworld. Yeah, I mean, he was always complicit, but he wasn't the mo- always the most enthusiastically bloodthirsty guy. But it, he seems to be now, you know, because he was he just threatening the shit out of the Drazi. Jesse, should we talk about justice again? Have we talked about the sentence? Because I'm sorry, my brain has stopped working and I I have the fucking attention. We haven't. Oh, but can we please wow. have another hour long conversation about criminal justice, please? No, just justice, not criminal. Just justice. No, he got, what did he get, 60 days? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 60 days for beating up an ambassador? Mm, I don't see that being realistic. I and love the, it. The weapon smuggling. Right. I, I love it. I'm not mad about it. He deserved every bit of that ass kicking that he got. But uh, is it justice? It's a rhetorical question. I don't nope. really see the Centauri or Lado just being okay with that sentence either. Exactly. Right. Who the well, fuck cares what they want? Well, I mean... <laughs> Well, he pled guilty, though, so, like, wouldn't that... First-time offender. We do. He pled guilty to murder. Does it matter? The the one thing I've always thought with that scene that I think would have made it a little stronger is why not just kick him off the station? Now, it's because we don't want Jakar to leave the show, but... They should have... They should have... Well, yeah, but what I'm getting at is they should have mentioned that, like, saying, look... Usually we would expel you, but knowing the circumstances and knowing that you would be murdered by the Centauri, we're going to do this instead. Just adding that in there, I think, would have strengthened it a little bit because it's kind of odd. Just like, hey, go sit in Garibaldi's cell for 60 days. Enjoy yourself. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, like I said, there's no way that like Londo didn't make a big political stink out of it and demand that they hand him over so he could be served Centauri justice because that absolutely had to have happened. Mm -hmm. And we they just skirted past that point and skirted past Sheridan telling him to fuck off again. But it, it did feel like it kind of needed to be there. Otherwise it was weak sauce. Yeah. Is it possible that that didn't happen because he was embarrassed 
by getting the shit kicked out of him. Or maybe he's still in traction, so he can't get onto the job. <laughs> or he deserved it and he knew it, so he didn't say anything about it. But, I mean, even even when Londo is feeling conflicted, if you want to think he's feeling conflicted, when he was in the uh, the scene a few weeks ago in the uh, the league chambers, he did not hold back in saying what Mike just said. We want Jakar. You need to turn him over. So this is a good reason for him to say, look, we were right. You should have turned him over before. Now, um, Bumsman, turn him over now, please. So, yeah, the, the, I think that scene could have been stronger with that whole aspect of it built in. Blake? I mean, the one thing I'll point out is she did say minimum of 60 days. So it, it could potentially be more that you know, Jakar could be in there. So it's a minimum of 60 days. Although, yeah, the sentencing is a little interesting. And I, I get what you're saying about could have added something about throwing him off or could have at least had this Antari putting up some kind of fight. Although at the same time, Londo may not, because he knows what Jakar saw in his mind. I'm going to say, I think Londo knew the images Jakar saw. Mm. And I'm willing to bet Londo wouldn't want to have it known his associations with Morden, the shadows or anything else. So it could also be a case of Londo is not going to go into that court and testify because he doesn't want anything else to come up. Mm, that's a good see that. potential. Uh, I, um, I can add that to my head cannon. I'm good with that. I do have one Veer comment to make, though. Um, so Veer gets back from Mimbar, right? And he's wearing that uh, welcome jacket they gave him. So apparently on the behind the scenes, they created a alphabet for each of the alien races. And they went to JMS for that coat he was wearing and said, hey, would you mind if we embroidered some Mimbari script on it? JMS said, sure, whatever, do whatever the fuck you want. Go make the thing. The letters on the jacket spell out Aloha in Mimbari. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when JMS is stuck in his office typing up every episode, because as we've discussed, he is now writing every episode of the show. There is no writer's room. There is no other writers. So he's, as Blake said, do what the fuck you want, because I don't have time. So I guess for me, this is kind of creeping on prediction territory, but I'm just going to kind of run with it. To me, the whole final scene where Jakar is kind of sitting in his cell and you hear kind of in the background again, some of us are going to have to be sacrificed. Um, to me, this kind of has a whole political prisoner feel. And it kind of made me think about like Nelson Mandela and other political prisoners that are out there. And I wouldn't be shocked at all especially once Londo fully recovers and the full might, you know, if Lord Riva or anyone else gets involved in this whole ordeal, if you see somebody come back and try to, you know, keep Jakar in prison for a lot longer. And so Jakar almost becomes a political prisoner at some point, or almost like a prisoner of conscience. Kevin. Part of what is so great about this series, especially with acting, is scenes where um, two actors are alone in a scene and they're just they're just doing a fantastic job. And this one again is another example of you know Peter and Andreas uh, just you know doing a fantastic job with their scene and they they practice that a lot. And they had a lot of talks with JMS about that scene. And, you know, they were practicing that on, on their own time at night at, at Andreas's house, apparently. And it really came out pretty well. Um, other than if anyone saw, um, Peter couldn't decide which of his eyes was, um, uh, 
was uh, shot from getting hit because <laughs> he switches it a couple of times, which I just find kind of funny because it, you know, otherwise it would be unnotable. But it it, it is uh, it's kind of endearing because you know you, you figure you've got makeup on one eye, it'd be, but it happens. Mike, yeah, well, to to follow on that point, Kevin, of uh, you know what you said about two characters locked in a room together and and being able to play off one another in kind of an intimate scene. Um, one that really stuck with me in this episode was between uh, Londo and Beer uh, at the end when you, you have <laughs> poor poor sweet Beer just giving his report to Londo and trying so hard to convince Londo like that he found the Minbari and that the Minbari as a people have found a better way to to be than the Centauri. And he wants to, to bring that kind of what he probably feels as a sort of enlightenment back to his people and just Londo ruthlessly quashing it. Like, no, you're stupid. You're, you're naive. You know, this is, this is the very pessimistic view of the whole thing. I like that scene to me was, was a really powerful one because it it kind of reinforces just not only how far down the path Londo has slid, but also how far down a path, you know, the Centauri society maybe has has gone, you know, where everything is really pragmatic and, and they look at they look for weakness. They don't look for good. You know, they're only out there for themselves. Let's go ahead and with that, head into questions and predictions. For those who are just joining us, we are going to have our newbies ask any questions they have lingering after watching this episode because they have, they have not watched anything else after this. And then also give us any predictions that they may have about what they think is going to happen down the road. So we'll go into that and we'll go to Jesse first. Questions and predictions. I, you know what? I don't, I, don't ha- I don't have any. I didn't write any down. I don't have any. Emily. I have a couple questions. Well, three, I guess. Uh, were the Membari telepaths able to read anything on Buster? Because he seems quite upset with their presence. And I wasn't sure if that's just because he doesn't like them. Uh, they were blocking his scanning abilities or if he was concerned they'd be able to get information by scanning it. So was the intended purpose of Dust to get more useful telepaths? Or to essentially get lab specimens so they have people to test on while protecting their telepaths that are already like a private organization. Since it seemed like it could do some um, mental damage, it seemed like a good way to get test subjects for some of their little projects they got going on. And we still don't know why the shadows are increasing their interference and attacking now. So uh, will I find that out before season five? Do we get a why before season five, or do I have to wait till like the end of this se- this entire series? It's gonna be a long few years for you. Just <laughs> the look she's giving me, folks, is is priceless. Yeah. Take a breath. Take a breath. Okay, Justin. Questions, predictions. One actually question for the group, real quick. Does everybody know what MK, MK Ultra was? Nope. Nope. Not a clue. So I made a reference to that earlier um, in the episode in kind of a comparison to what Bester and Psychor were doing with Dust. And MK Ultra. and welcome to Justin's history time. So back in the uh, 50s and 60s, the CIA decided to, back when the a chemical called LSD was relatively new, the CIA decided that it would be actually helpful to exactly know what LSD did to a regular person. So there were a lot of instances where the CIA introduced LSD into the 
uh, general population and then monitored the responses. So they would do high level officials. They would drop LSD on regular people and kind of catalog how they reacted to it. And the whole purpose of MK Ultra program was to try to create sleeper agents or try to make people more susceptible to mind control. So that's kind of one thing that picked me up, that kind of poked me with this whole uh, dust thing with trying to create more human telepaths was create a drug that you can introduce into the general populace and just kind of one, see how people react, but two, if you can get a few cool agents out of it, why not? That's kind of why I dropped that MK Ultra uh, reference earlier for that because definitely I think did JMS did JMS ever say anything about that at all in any of his postings? Not that I'm aware of, but anything on it seems like it's too similar to for him somebody a student of history like he is to miss. I had to look it up on Wikipedia when when you dropped that, Justin, because I I wasn't really very familiar with it although it was it turns out it's just the name i've heard heard about the lsd stuff before just go watch but the i guess stare at goats you'll be fine that's a great movie by the way <laughs> but anyway okay um questions and predictions so uh question number one will jakar end up being the one who ends up sacrificing himself in the war against the shadows question number two how many other races has Kosh appeared to this way? Because dust was flowing throughout the station. Has Kosh appeared to other people throughout the station in this particular way? And is this the way to tr- is this the is this the way that then Kosh is going to try and bring other races together by invading their dreams and talking them into joining the bigger fight? Predictions. I think now whether anyone really wants him to or not, um, Jakar is going to end up being a part of the inner circle. I think Kasha is going to end up kind of introducing him and bringing him into the rest of the group. And then, um, so Jakar is going to be spending the next 60 days in jail, perhaps longer. I think Jakar is going to come out of this a very, very different person than the person that we've known before. So I don't think we're going to see the same uh, Jakar as we saw, you know, up until now. Um, another prediction is that Centauri will try to protest Jakar's sentence and perhaps try and create a political prisoner out of him, which therefore extending his stay in prison. And then the last prediction I have is Sheridan is going to be on Nightwatch's shit list. Um, so I think we're going to see a lot more investigations into Sheridan, which is going to bring the whole other Clark military coup into further danger because Nightwatch is going to start keeping a really closer eye on Sheridan at this point. He should have gone where everyone has gone before and he'd been fine. Yeah. Can't believe I had to miss that episode, by the way. Thanks. Such a fun. We had fun with that. We had a lot of fun with that. I have not listened to the recording yet. I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) Nicole. The only question I had was, I guess Justin's prediction was, my question was, since Jakar's kind of been poking around and heard about the Rangers, is he going to be allowed into the council and become part of that? And if so, is he going to make an impact? Because he gave Garibaldi the book of Jaquan saying he can help. So I'm just curious if they're going to bring him in and how they're going to use him. Um, But that was really my only question. Prediction wise, I don't really have any at this point. And Andrew, questions, predictions. Two questions. Could the dust that Jakar took uh, leave any lasting telepathic effects? And uh, 
with Jakar uh, seemingly turning himself in, does this signify the beginning of the end of the conflict between him and Londo? Any predictions? Nope, that's it. Okay, we'll go ahead and end it there with our newbies. Next week, we're talking about the amazing episode that may or may not be ranked in the top 10 worst episodes of mm. Babylon 5. Exo oh, Genesis. Enjoy watching newbies, and we'll talk about that one next week. For those who have already watched the show all the way through or don't care about spoilers, we'll be back after the credits to answer these questions and predictions that the newbies have given us for this episode. So until next week, make sure to like, subscribe, follow, do all those things. Join us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook in the conversation, specifically Facebook and Twitter. We both have some great conversations going on over there. And if you want to join our Discord, be sure to check out our Patreon. So until next week, when we talk about the wonderful episode that is Exogenesis, I have been Scott, and with me is... Do the first ones really have to show up next week for that, Scott? <laughs> there will be a lot of Beyond the Rim. I, I don't know. I'm going to be sick. <laughs> Blake? Emily. Andrew. Kevin. Jesse. Nicole. Mike. And Justin. We'll see you next week. And don't let the bed bugs bite. And you'll know what I mean Ew. after next week. Oh. By the way, it's tied for the 10th worst episode with an episode we've already watched, A Distant Star. Remember that one with the Cortez and the really frilly music with the expedition ship? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know if it's as good as that episode. I hate Exogenesis. It's terrible. I was expecting you to say TKO. (laughs) Well, no, TKO. Okay, so here here it is. Here is the top 10 worst episodes of B5 as rated by people when they were watching it back in the 90s. The worst episode, Infection. Well, well, okay, we'll start from 10 and go to the worst. Okay, fine. Exogenesis, (laughs) which you haven't watched yet. Yeah. And A Distant Star are tied for 10. Then The Quality of Mercy which was the mm-hmm. rejuvenation machine machine yeah knives mm-hmm. okay. which was the londo duel episode soul hunter buttholes mm-hmm. buttholes midnight on the firing line which was the f- first episode no second episode yes first episode it was production first. order three first episode aired an episode okay. we have not seen yet is number five so i won't i won't say that one yet the war prayer which was the poet who gets branded born to the purple Mm. which was Londo gets horny <laughs> TKO and then infection. I'm confused. Are these going getting better or worse now? No, they're I, getting worse. Infection's the least ranked episode. debatable. I think, uh, <laughs> well, we can talk about that in a bonus episode. I'm just saying that exogenesis is pretty fucking bad and it's next week. Great. But I will thanks, say, thanks for the heads up. I well, will say, I will say just to make you all feel better. The highest ranked episode in the entire series is coming up for our recording in July. That is the highest ranked episode of the entire series. Okay. I'll film another reaction video to this to this next one though. All of you need to film reactions so I can put reactions up. Here's a little life hack for you. Put the camera a little bit further away so it can get more of you in it and then like paint your toenails and upload it twice. (laughs) Mike is thinking for the revenue, yes. See, okay. I thought he was getting for a cleavage shot comment there, but he went with the painting <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can find all the places to listen to and watch this podcast at anchor.fm slash gray17podcast or youtube.com at gray17podcast. 
We want to hear from you, so join the conversation at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or Patreon. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review where you are listening to or watching this podcast. Gray 17 is not affiliated with, and the podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by Warner Brothers or any other owners of the Babylon 5 copyright. All clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. The opening and closing themes are available from Falling Matter on YouTube. And what's out there? The rim. And beyond that? The truth. Welcome back to Beyond the Rim again. Final warning, this is going to be the spoiler section, so if you don't want to be spoiled about what happens after Dust to Dust, you should leave now. If not, we're going to dive right in. So let's go to the questions first, guys. And the first question, because I guess Emily thinks that we can tap into JMS's brain right here, is were the Mimbari telepaths able to read anything on Bester? Question mark. I don't think that was the point at all. And I think the Minbari have too much honor to do that. So that's what uh, I was thinking. And too. I think Sheridan wouldn't instruct them to. Yeah. And they've also established if they would have tried it, Bester would have known it. Yeah. Right. Even even Ivanova can tell when somebody's trying to scan her, and she is like a P point five. So will we know why the shadows are doing what they're doing before the end of season five? Is what she said. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The shadows are going to be basically off the board by season four for the most part. So yeah. And I think, you know, I was listening to the intro today because JMS actually said on the, the old uh, Usenets and stuff that the, uh, they changed the outro music uh, for the end credits starting with this episode. And they did that because he just legitimately forgot to have them change it. <laughs> uh, so I've listened to the opening and closing credits more than I usually do. And Ivanova says in her opening monologue, the year of the Shadow War, not the years of the Shadow War, not the Shadow War. It's the year of the Shadow War. So if you're listening to that, you can basically assume this isn't going to be a long, drawn out conflict. It's going to be fairly quick and it's going to be fairly quick by mid season four. It's basically over. Actually, by the end of season three, it's really over because they nuked the shit out of them. Okay. Was the dust used as a good way to create more telepaths or were they trying to get some Patsy test subjects using the dust? Yes. <laughs> That's the whole thing. They're going to learn more about Bester as we go along, but Bester doesn't care. <laughs> if, if you make a good P12 psychop, great. If I can poke at you a little bit and learn something more, great too. Yeah, I mean... We have established that the Psychor does seem to have something of an obsession with experimenting and mm. trying to increase their their capabilities. I don't necessarily know that that would go along with them wanting to make more telepaths, but maybe. I think it would fit with them wanting to make more telepaths and increase telepathic ability. I mean, Absolutely. they've tried this multiple times. I mean, let's think back to uh, Ironheart and Becoming uh, all the way back in season one. I mean, they've they've done various programs to enhance abilities, to increase abilities. They've done selective breeding programs to try to breed stronger telepaths through genetic mapping. So it's not that much of a stretch to think that they would try to use a drug for that. Now, I know some of the canon with dust is... Um, you know, they said they'd been working with it for five years, but there's been other references in the series. Garibaldi mentioning they had problems with it on another one of the colony worlds, and it's been mentioned before. So 
you know, I think it's one of those things that was probably a street drug that was out there and they realized, hey, it has this potential effect. And then Psychor started fucking around with it to mm-hmm. try to use it for their own purposes. Yeah, anything that's going to enhance Psychor's ability to, you know, have telepaths, you know, is going to increase their knowledge base, their power base, uh, anything that's going to enhance, uh, you know, Earth's ability to do anything, they're going to be for. One of the things I'm surprised the newbies didn't catch on to, um, and maybe it's just me, is I found it really interesting when Ivanova was talking about how there's so many much, there's so many more of them than we there are of us, and that's exactly what the telepaths are afraid of there's so few telepaths that they feel like they have to have an upper hand because they are being oppressed by the normal people and i just found it interesting that ivanova her biggest concern was that there are so many telepaths when in fact that's their exact opposite concern how many other races has kosh appeared to using dust none yeah Zero. Dust had nothing to do with that <laughs> yeah i think there's a lot we can kind of delve into when it comes to Kosh and what he's been doing for both Sheridan and for Jakar. But the dust thing was just, you know, he's like, oh, I could use this as a time to do this kind of thing. But um, what do you all think about the Kosh? Yeah, the more interesting part of it is that, that to, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, I don't feel as though Jakar and Kosh have like even interacted that we have seen on screen before. So it's interesting to me that that Kosh is choosing to appear to him in the first place. That he, that he <laughs> to put it crudely, that Kosh gives a shit about Jakar. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think it's more Kosh is setting the pieces on the board. There you go. He, he knows how this plays out. He knows who's going to be needed and where. You know, just like we're going to see coming back. up with the prediction from Lady Morella with uh, Londo's future and Veer's future. There's these psychics who can see the future. We have no reason to believe the Vorlons don't know how this at least how they want it to play out. And they know the pieces they're going to need on the board. They need someone who can become the figure that Narns need to play their role in all of this. And this is putting Jakar in that position well, now. Okay, so until this at least good... when B4 goes back, they know for sure what's going to happen up until that point. I was yeah. say, this, this is a discussion we've had before, but here, here it is again. What, what do the Vorlons actually know about the future at this point? I think they know everything up until Jeffrey Sinclair goes back in time, mm-hmm. which is basically all of season three. And so Sinclair has given them that much information. Now, that being said, I see it differently. Now, I yes, I think Kosh is putting pieces on the board. However, this is one of the another examples of where I think Kosh has started to turn against the whole Vorlon idea of we have to do the same thing over again. We have to play with the shadows because of the wording he uses. Some of us will have to be sacrificed. And that's exactly what happens with Kosh fairly soon is Sheridan's going to go to Kosh and say, hey, look. I need you to do this a different way and it gets Kosh killed. So I've always kind of asked this question at least several times in this segment is when does Kosh make that turn? I think we're starting to see it here. He's working with Sheridan. He's starting to gain the respect for Sheridan of the humans. And this is another piece where Kosh is saying, look, I recognize things have to be different this time. We have to change things. That's why he's telling Jakar through Jaquan that you have to change and break some cycles here. So that's the way I see it. I don't see it as the Vorlons putting pieces on the board. I think Kosh has moved past that. I think Kosh is setting things up 
to do things differently. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's fair because what I would what I would see in this is again, you know, I, I don't think that uh, the Vorlons are are you know they're very judgmental, right? They don't care about certain races. I don't think they have any. The Vorlons as a race wouldn't care at all what happens to the Narns at this point. But I guess from what you're saying, if Kosh knows that specifically Jakar or the Narns have a role to play in the future that he's aware of, then it makes a lot more sense. Will Jakar sacrifice himself in the war against the Shadows? Uh, he won't sacrifice himself with having much to do with the Shadows at all, and he doesn't really intend on himself dying from it when he does, but he would have. Yeah, I, I think the, the the point is, again, knowing that this is Kosh saying this too, is Kosh has already said to other people that the Narn and the Centauri are dying races. They're not going to make it. They're not going to become what the Vorlons and the Shadows and the First Ones are. They're not destined for that. So they're going to have to be sacrificed in the grand scheme of things. So I don't think it's just Chikar. I think it is the Narn, because we know the Narn don't make it. We also know the Centauri don't make it. Humans do. Will Jakar be let into the Conspiracy of Light? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. After a while. <laughs> but it will be, and to add to that, because they the... When they brought that up, they said that, you know, reluctantly or against kind of what others wanted that Kosh would bring him in. No, it, it's Delenn and Sheridan that bring him in because there's that scene where when they do it and Delenn explains to him, yep. you know, why he wasn't sooner and why they didn't tell him. It's the very same episode where Garibaldi realizes that the Book of Jaquan has the answer right. on how to defeat you, the shadows. And you do not thump Book of Jaquan. Which, by the way, this is a good point to point out that I was tarred and feathered on the interwebs several weeks ago because I said that all shadow ships use telepaths to operate. And actually, as I was schooled by many people, it is the shadows utilize telepaths to defend themselves, not that they have to have them to pilot their ships. I apologize. We'll learn that in the same episode as when Jakar joins the conspiracy and when the Jaquan book gets thumped. How dare you be wrong on the internet, Scott? How I know. dare you, sir? I just well, love that. It was, a, it was like 50 people thinking they were the first ones to catch it. It was cute. Well, and speaking about that, that scene, too, I mean, after this episode, it's probably possible that, you know, Jakar would have had the same reaction to Delenn um, that he does have. But prior to this, he may not have. Um, mm -hmm. This is his spiritual awakening, and this is him deciding that, uh, hatred is less important than, you know, the the good of everyone. Mm -hmm. Well, that's Justin's prediction, which is completely spot on. And that is Jakar won't come out of prison. I'm a very different person. Yeah, this is, this is, and Blake, you alluded to it already. This is the turning point. I mean, there have been several turning points, but this is the turning point for Jakar. Which it was interesting because in this episode, you know, with, with Jakar back to his old tricks of trying to find a weapon to smuggle in the Centauri to fight the fight, it, it was almost a turn back to his mustache twirling days set against the, you know, as a juxtaposition for this moment of awakening in him. But, you know, he's also getting increasingly desperate because of the amount of uh, killing going on on the Narn homeworld and the power with which the Centauri are wielding to uh, to destroy his people. So maybe if several episodes he ago he wouldn't have been quite so uh out for out for blood and finding anything that he possibly could to get a one-up 
But yeah, he's he's getting increasingly desperate because things are getting really tragic on the Narn home world. Well, and I suppose it was his his would be ambassador ambassadorial replacement that that was the one who wanted to urge all the Narns to stop fighting, and it was never Jakar who wanted them to stop fighting. Right. You mean the dad from Monster Squad? <laughs> okay. Could the dust have any lasting effects on Jakar? Uh, it could, but it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Aside from of, the experience, the experience absolutely affects him for the. I know that it'll life. take twice as much next time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Kasha's influence and the experience, but yeah, the dust is the dust is nothing. Is this the end of the conflict between Jakar and Londo because Jakar pled guilty? <laughs> oh, Andrew, you innocent, innocent soul, you. <laughs> Lol, no. Is it the? I mean, it's not, but it takes a different form after this. It's yeah. not a violent conflict between them after this. Yeah. I mean, there's still that divide and ultimately you'll see the redemption story for both of them come to fruition, which we saw flash forward in this episode as well, too. Yeah. We also got that hand a lot. We got the hand like three times in that little sequence. I'm surprised Emily didn't bring it up again or no, it was Jesse who likes the hand. Okay. Let's move into predictions. Jakar will become a political prisoner of the Centauri. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think they said political prisoner, but the context they said around that, because they were referencing like Mandela and some of that. And yeah, I mean, you look Mandela pre and post prison. I think that's where they were going with that. So I think they said political prisoner and maybe the wrong way of what they meant. Well, uh, and later on, Justin did elaborate saying that the Centauri would protest and try to get him to be a prisoner of them as well, too. So I think it's a little bit of both because his second prediction, which we already kind of talked about, is that Jakar is going to be a changed person during his time in prison. But um, yeah, I think I think what Justin was going for there is that the Centauri will actually nab him some way or form, which is true. And then to that point, as we already discussed, Jakar will come out of the prison time a very different person than when he than what he came in yes he's going to be a religious icon and a leader of his people and he's going to be much more mellow he's going to spend this time writing the book of jakar and figuring out his place in the universe and blake to your point he's going to be a lot less you know violent Mm -hmm. thought after that i mean he just he's going to think uh, think about things a lot differently and then finally a curveball sheridan will be on nightwatch's shit list he already was yeah Yeah. sheridan has made it very clear he's not playing on clark's side that he's he's not hiding that at all at just this point the clark administration doesn't care which is a little surprising they didn't come for him sooner than they did and kind of personally but they wait until the larger conflict that's coming you know happens and then they're like yeah okay all you guys can go it wasn't really personal against sheridan it was like yeah the, every, everyone on the command crew that's got to go especially if you're not night watch i think and i think really the reason why they don't do it so as quickly as we think they should is i, I just don't think clark cares i think clark's biggest issues in his head are mars and earth and b5 is just this little backwater thing that he has to deal with because it was santiago's thing and he has to put on a good show but aside from that i just don't think he gives a damn until it becomes a problem for him next week is going to be a barn burner guys (laughs) franklin and marcus fight alien things easily my least favorite episode of the series easily it's it's kind of funny jms actually for this episode was there were comments finally we get a lore episode and jms points out look 
every new season which we actually see this on our show too every new season new people hop on so you can't just go heavy lore right away i just think it's funny that as soon as he said that he then drops exogenesis on people's heads so it's gonna be a fun episode it's gonna be great can't wait so now that we've sold next week's episode for you you definitely need to subscribe and like and come back next week so you can hear all the greatness yeah. that is exogenesis. Yeah. No, no, no. Come back next week to hear how mad Jesse is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm and, sure it will be entertaining how much we all dunk on that episode. I, I can see it now. Jesse will be mad. Emily will say, I didn't hate it. And Nicole <laughs> will try to tell us why it's really good. Probably. Yeah. And Justin won't like it, but it'll be fairly indifferent because he can't really wear his tinfoil hat for that one. No, yeah, he's that... going to assume that all of the conspirators on Earth have parasites in them. Yeah. Yes. That, that could be it. Now, he could go like the uh, season one of TNG with conspiracy. Yeah, he's going to go Everyone's full TNG conspiracy. conspiracy with this shit. Oh, yeah. I'm a little surprised they haven't brought that back in the new tracks. Really surprised they haven't done it yet. Talos says he had an idea for it. Yeah, he has a lot of ideas. Now Paramount's got to let him do it. But that's a whole nother show and a whole nother franchise. So let's go ahead and end it there. Oh, God, I, I figure either uh, San Diego or next Star Trek day, they're dropping something. Yeah. They did the same thing with Strange New Worlds, yeah. which starts airing on Thursday. Okay. We'll go ahead and end it there. We'll see you all next week with a wonderful episode that is Exogenesis. Until then, I am Scott, and with me has been Blake, Kevin, and Mike. I'm going to go pass out. You do. Have that. fun with it. I. Are you deliberately trying to drive me insane? The universe is already mad. Anything else would be redundant.